Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune I ride because I'm addicted to addicted to the endorphins and to the adrenaline. I ride because the second my legs start turning circles, I become a happier person. I ride because I love to feel the wind on my face and listen to the birds and bugs. I ride because it allows me to take out my aggression and anger. I ride because it stabilises my life and creates balance. I ride because going downhill at 40 miles an hour makes me feel wild and free. I ride because I can't cry and pedal at the same time. I ride because it allows me to play with the boys. I ride because I can go alone. I ride because even though I have ridden the route a thousand times, I never know what is around the next bend. those microphone directions again. <laughs> you're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on 3CR. If you're listening to the tranny in the kitchen, it's on AM 855. If you're podcasting, you know what to do. On this lovely Monday morning here in Melbourne, the 25th of June, is it still three days, four days after the equinox when days are getting longer and longer and longer already? Faith and Margot. Faith, good morning. Good morning, Val. Good morning, Margot. Good morning. Welcome to 3CR land. Thank you very much. A special little part of Melbourne sitting here. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! and to Emily Kacherick, where that quote comes from. Today we'll be doing a little bit of news and events, but we'll be mainly looking at um, Margot's survey about how do you make bicycles work in the cities? How do you design things for them? But first off, faith bicycle moment. 
Um, I had a couple of bike moments. I went uh, on the commuter cycle Swift camp out on the weekend, which was uh, a very relaxed, cruisy ride out to um, a very nice hidden spot that made you feel like you'd actually gotten a lot further out of the city than you had. Oh, it was uh, very nice waking up there on a misty, foggy Sunday morning. There we go. Plenty of bird life. Lots of bird life. Yeah. A few kangaroos, a few cows. It was. Uh, it, I, I just find it amazing. You're actually still in the city, surrounded by suburbs, but yeah. it really felt like you were out in the country a bit. Couldn't hear any traffic. The billy just boiling on the the campfire. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of horses rode past. (laughs) And there's always that moment when you peek out of your tent and see wherever it was you, you know, camped the previous night, and and then see your bike leaning against a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Margot. Um, my bicycle moment is actually also related to that same camp out mm-hmm. because oh, I, yeah. I also spent my weekend, um, riding, um, and just now when getting into the radio, um, place, I don't know how this radio place is called, <laughs> I found in my pocket a carrot. And I thought, oh, why is there a carrot in my pocket? And I remember that when we left the camp. There was a carrot on the trail. There was a carrot on the trail. <laughs> and probably that had fallen down by, you know, from the pocket of someone else who, who left the campsite earlier than we did. And we thought, you know, this is cycling. This is sustainability. So let's yeah, just save these carrots and make something edible out of it. So that was my cycling moment. <laughs> Stopping and picking the carrot up. <laughs> uh, uh, mine's a little bit more city orientated and pedestrian. I'm, I'm think I'm riding to the radio show here this morning, and in front of me is a young bloke on a bicycle carrying three pieces of four b two timber about two and a half three meters long. Like it's going. It's the first time I've seen anybody move some a big piece of timber around sitting in the. The Tim to City on his shoulder as he rode along <laughs> this long bridge road, Richmond. You know, three lanes, yep. two lanes, uh, two lanes. Steer a wide berth when you went around a corner. I had to go around. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit funny. It was a little bit funny. Well, I'll kick off some news. Yes, with um, just a recap on our radiothon efforts because yep. we it has been the fight for your mic three CR radiothon. For the last couple of weeks and um, we are very close to our total. We've had some amazing donations and again some more have come in even over the last few days. Uh, Craig, Bronnie and Adrian, thank you very much for your donations. A staggeringly generous donation from Bruce in Malvern. Uh, and uh, everyone else who we'd already thanked over the previous weeks. If you'd like to donate to help keep 3CR and the Yarrabug Radio on the show, you can still do so at 3cr.org.au or by calling the station on 94198377. Yeah, and uh, I should just acknowledge, I'll just go first names here, Claire, Nano, David, Finn, Commuter Cycles, um, Lulu and Mika um, all gave us something to keep the radio show going. So thank you very much. 
we'll put the excess in the next year's target. <laughs> if we do. <laughs> uh, on the cycling endurance news. Ah, yes. Um, the Tour Divide has been running since June 8th or June 9th. The Tour Divide kicked off in the States and there's a couple of Melbourne riders and Louis Sidor has uh, won yesterday. He rode 4,344 kilometres in 15 days, 2 hours and 8 minutes. So he's a very local rider from uh, one of the St. Cloud Bikes teams and um, well-known in these parts. Second through was worth mentioning, Bailey Newbury, who uh, was second but also the first on a single speed. So rode that enormous... Distance and over all those mountains with just the one gear. We it seems to be it's growing in popularity every year. The Tour Divide. Why are Melbourne people so good at it? Silly question. We could get Lewis in and ask him when he gets back. And we shall. If and he's, Gareth, if he's recovered, maybe a couple yeah. of others. Yeah, there's a, a big contingent of Melbourne riders. <laughs> now, a couple I of. I think things. it's the flannel shirt. Well, certainly not the hills around Melbourne training them up <laughs> no. for it. I know that. <laughs> no matter how many times you go up Donabuang, it's not going to help much. <laughs> um, anybody who's been interested in city planning or planning for the future would have seen that the Melbourne City Council released a couple of um, strategy discussion papers, as they call them, which um, highlights... Um, I'll be brief about this because you should go and have a look at these too. There are two reports on the Melbourne City um, Council's website one of the transport strategy discussion paper, which highlights the drop in car traffic that's coming into the city now and highlights the increasing amount of pedestrians and cycling traffic going through. I think in the last 10 years, there have been 27% fewer vehicles that come into the central city. So the plan is, and I think they mention even in this paper, London, New York and Amsterdam, closing off the streets, Times Square... There's a walkway from Trafalgar Square all the way to the National Gallery in England. There's no more cars. This is obviously the way we're going. And you would have noticed our normal response from the Premier Daniel Andrews when he said that there will be none of this happening in Melbourne City. Good to know he's consistent, the young fella. And also in local news to do with infrastructure, the uh, Moray Street bike path upgrades have uh, opened. So there are now, as a part of that, two roundabouts in Moray Street at Coventry and Dorcas Streets where the roundabouts get the full protected lane treatment. So traditionally in Australia, even if you do have a street with a protected lane, once you get to the intersection, it uh, vanishes, leaving you to cross the intersection, which is the most dangerous point for cyclists um, without any of the protection. And we know that in Europe and specifically in the Netherlands, they build roundabouts where pedestrians and cyclists are protected all the way around the roundabout and have priority over car traffic. So these are the first two working roundabouts built in that manner in Melbourne. Well worth going, checking and having a look. Um, There's been a little bit of Commotion. I think Channel 7 were suggesting the end of the universe as we know it, since cars would have to give way to bikes. And pedestrians. And pedestrians, but, you know, it might come as news that cars have always had to give way to pedestrians at some spots. But 
It also struck me, I mean, they're not roundabouts, but on the capital city trail in Moreland, we've got that crossing where pedestrians and cyclists have priority over cars. We have the O'Hay Street bike path up in North Moreland where pedestrians and cyclists have priority at crossings. Um, and, you know, the earth is still turning and all those car drivers manage to do it without self-combusting in the process. So... Um, Hopefully it won't be as difficult for the drivers in South Melbourne as Channel 7 seemed to think it would be. It's a funny anomaly, the uh, roundabout, because the pedestrian doesn't have any right at all in crossing, in walking across one side from a roundabout to the other, whereas at an intersection, or especially a T-intersection, the car has to give way to the pedestrian. But on roundabouts, it's just a free-for-all. Well, it's not a free-for-all. It's all made for one one thing. Yeah. Interesting. But you see how the goods and that part of that change is the pedestrians now have right of way across yeah. a roundabout. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest changes. Yeah. Talking about traffic, if you will remember, I think it's about six months ago now, I spoke a little bit about um, Yarra Council running a program called Have Your Say, where they targeted quite a small area of uh, Richmond called Burnley and asked for ideas or complaints about what was going on. The complaints came back. Most of them were about um, pedestrian insecurity, rat-running cars and speeding through all these local streets. They've taken this another step now. They have put up their solutions with some good um, descriptions of all these different car traffic calming uh, things down up for you to have a look and to have your say. And I think I'm pretty sure that submissions close on about the 17th of July. No doubt I'll remind you before there and again. Mm. It's worth having a look at how a local council is tracking some of these things, turning a couple of streets into one-way streets, putting different sorts of bollards and calming things down. Yep. And we'll be back very shortly to uh, talk to our guest Margot about her research around bicycle repair. 2018 marks 20 years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Gunjaitme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka 20 years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R.net, a 3CR supporter. And the St. Valentine Day Massacre as well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 that was might have come across as a strange segue for our listeners. Um, we're back on air with Margot aboard, our, our guest in the studio today. Margot is a PhD student from Lyon in France, uh, but she's uh, well uh, familiar with Melbourne and Melbourne cycling culture. Um, and she's here, while she's here, going to be conducting some research as part of her PhD, um, comparing culture around bicycle repairs between Melbourne and Lyon. Uh, maybe you could start off with um, 
telling us why, where your interest from the bicycle repair point came. Yes, of course. Um, So there is lots of initiatives that have uh, started to arise in urban planning. And I think you mentioned some of them, Val, um, earlier already. Um, Lots of city councils are looking into finding ways to develop riding in the city. And um, lots of these initiatives are related to infrastructure, bike lanes. And um, I thought that maybe we could get interested in another aspect of cycling that's, to my view, um, as important, which is bicycle repair. If we get interested in the bike as something that's subject to time and to use, which is what we want, right, Uh, we'll have to... Uh, acknowledge that it's an object that decays and that um, yeah degrades with time. So that's the approach I'm having. Uh, I want to find ways to uh, develop ridership in cities and go to city councils and say, I know you're trying to develop cycling. What about we look at it from the rider's perspective and we look at what happens when a bicycle breaks down and we look at how people behave. Do they do they fix it? Do they have the skills to fix it? And of course, not everyone has these skills. Do they go to a shop? Are there enough shops? Do people know where the shops are? Can people carry their bicycles to the shops? You know, because if we want a culture where there are less cars, how, how do we get the bikes to the shops? Um, do they have friends who can help them? And I think uh, mapping out and getting an idea of what's the situation uh, in Melbourne, uh, in terms of bicycle repair, can really be a good level to developing cycling in the city. It's a there's a lot of interesting points there. I was, I was thinking as you went through them, um, like for example, in Moreland, there are points along the upfield bike path where the council have installed repair stations, so that you will find an Allen key and a pump and some basic tools. Um, and they seem pretty good at keeping it in good order, despite the uh, bit of vandalism it gets. But it, it would, it might, maybe it would be also useful there to have something indicating. And here are the closest bike shops for those people who look at the tools and go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that is true, and that is something that uh, Melbourne, uh, on which Melbourne wins, on my hometown of Lyon. Um, these bicycle repair stations are not only in Moreland, they're also in, in Darwin, and I've seen them yeah. in Docklands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maribyrnong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and I have actually, because I met the sustainable transportation officer of uh, the city of Darwin, and she told me she'd be extremely interested if um, I could spend some time next to bicycle repair stations that have been implemented by the council. So I went to St. George's Bike Path, the one that, and there is a bicycle station that's at the top south of mm-hmm. the bike path, and just chatted with people. And what came out, out of this is that most people come to inflate their tires. Lots of people don't know very well how to inflate tires. They don't know. They have to look at the gauge. Um, and yes, that's still, I think, a very beautiful contribution that the city is offering to its inhabitants. Yeah, so Melbourne's winning at something. <laughs> and um, so you're conducting a survey as part of your research. 
That is right. And been uh, reaching out to uh, Melbourne cyclists. Um, I know I saw the survey on Facebook. What is the survey about? Um, so there are two aspects in the survey. The first one is um, we we just don't know what people do when their bicycle breaks down. We can get part of this information from bike shops, you know, get an estimation of uh, the activity of bike shops and uh, with the amount of bicycle parts that have been sold or replaced, we get an idea of how bicycle repair goes in the city. But then we are kind of missing out on all the people fixing bikes in their garage. All um, the people who don't, who just put the broken bike in the garage and exactly, never use it again. I think this is a very important aspect of it. And I've had this experience myself. I've had a bike, I've had a flat tire, I stopped riding and um, because I didn't know how to do, I was too lazy to carry it to the bike shop. Um, and I think it might be a more common thing than we think. So the first part of this survey is uh, I'm asking anyone, and any, not only people who are like keen riders, keen bicycle mechanics, anyone, what do you do when your bicycle breaks down? The second part, I also ask them how they ride, uh, whether they enjoy riding, whether they feel confident and I'm trying to find out if there are links between these two things. Does knowing your bicycle better leads to better riding? Or, um, yeah, so it's it's the part that I, I'm not sure yet what we're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. But um, who knows? Maybe fixing bikes changes the way you ride. And that's something I want to investigate through this survey. Do you think... Um with, uh, I've had this discussion a couple of times with people. There's something more than there's something more to be gained through fixing a bike than just a bike that runs. Well, that's something that I've experienced myself. So yeah. then that's also why I'm conducting research and asking people because if you just ask me, I think yeah, when I when I learned how to repair my bike, I felt extremely empowered. I was proud. Uh, and riding became a different thing for me. Um, but then, of course, some people will just delegate uh, fixing the bike, and that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, so to me, there is a big difference, and it has made yeah. made a big difference in my life. Yeah. I just think there's, there is, no matter how, you can't quantify it, I don't think, but the time between, between say, problem-solving, which if I don't know how to do anything... If I don't know how to do anything, like turn my microphone on, um, that actually when I do accomplish it, whether it's fixing a bike or putting an IKEA cupboard together, there's something else that comes back off that that's longer lasting than just fixing the the bike. And that ties into that thing we see at the moment, where people are setting up, you know, we're setting up cafes so people can learn to fix things again. And, um, yeah, because obviously there is that connection between doing something with your hands and thinking about it and how it works and that translates into another experience rather than just the the ride. Yes, I think so. And um, I talked to people from Good Cycles in Duckland and they're saying that they're, they're all, all for training for people to, to fix bikes, but they're also a bike shop. And the question was, 
are you not afraid of being put out of business by by offering these trainings? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, of course not. Because actually raising awareness um, about what is a bicycle, how do bicycle components interact with each other, um, probably is very good for their business because people want to know what's happening so that they know uh, what it, what exactly they ask from a bicycle mechanic when yeah. they go to the shop. Yeah. And what someone told me is, um, lots of people learn about the bike and realize how hard it is, mm-hmm. how hard some things are, yep. and they are more willing to actually go to a shop and um, and ask the shop to do the job for them and to pay the amount required. Well, and that's another thing. One of the big blocks to people getting their bikes fixed is they don't want to go. They have that thing where they feel stupid if they don't know what they just don't know what to say is wrong with it, and they don't know how to assess the information. A mechanic gives them, so they just don't take the bike. Whereas if you do have that little bit of experience or knowledge about your bike, then you're more likely to take it in to get it repaired because you're not going to be worrying about how you... Uh... My precious self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you haven't obviously finished your research, but are there any other differences you've spotted between Lyon and Melbourne at this point mm, that, that or is, is this a universal sort of <laughs> conundrum we find ourselves in I, I believe lots of the things I come for here are, are quite quite common to uh, what I've seen in Lyon what, one of the things um, what I believe Australians are way more uh, apologizing about <laughs> uh, their car culture uh, in France we also have lots of drivers they honk at us when we do perfectly normal things because they think we we shouldn't be doing these. Um, but in Australia, people will come to me and apologize and be like, I'm so sorry. This is not like Europe here. Uh, cyclists are not very well considered. Be careful. Turn your lights yeah. on during the day. I yeah. think we idealize much of Europe. I, we... I think there's a bit of it. <laughs> yeah, like Lyon is not so good for riding no. either. And my commute in Lyon was quite full of potholes and dangerous yeah. bridges. Where yeah. yes, yeah. Oh, and if people want to find your survey, we'll obviously be posting a link up with the podcast. But is there a website they can find somewhere online? They can find the survey in the meantime. Um, not exactly. Uh-huh. So the link is bikerepairsurvey.limequery.com uh-huh. and my email address is uh, one of the first things that people see when it's displayed on their screen and I encourage anyone who's interested in the research, interested in sharing their experiences um, to contact me directly. I'm mm-hmm. always happy to, to hear about people, chat with anyone who's mechanically minded or not or not uh, yep. about their experiences yeah and we'll yeah we'll post post that link up when we put the podcast up so people will be able to find it thank you many thanks mark i hope you enjoy the rest of the stay in mold i'm sure you'll be back again sure <laughs> as well sure as well <laughs> and i'm not going to apologize for the drivers <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that is all we've got uh, news for what to look out for next week in the next weeks um i think we had all the events last weekend we had the swift camp out we had melbourne roubaix we had the melbourne tweed ride i think we're all going to have a rest 
well, you've got to prepare and, yourself and for prepare next ourselves week for to watch another drug cheat win the Tour de France. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that, for goodness sake. <laughs> so, as we've said in the past, um, 3CR relies on the support of its listeners to stay on the air. So if you can make a donation, do so now. And uh, coming up next after this is... Jailbreak. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.